and turn, please, to Mark 13, last passage in this chapter for us. Next week, we enter a new section of Mark, one where there's a plot, a betrayal, a trial, an execution, and a burial. We progress further on into Passion Week, starting next week. Here we have Mark 13, 32 to 37, uh, the, the end of our series that we've called Controversy in Christ City. It started with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, entering the temple, and instead of rebuking Rome and saying, get out of here, you pagans, he goes after the false teaching going on in Israel. The people who should be leading his beloved people are actually corrupted and misleading his people. And he goes not after the pagans of the day, he goes after, if you will, the church of the day the leaders of God's household in that day. That's who Jesus goes after, and as you can imagine, there's controversy because of that. He goes after scribes, he goes after Pharisees, after Sadducees, he goes after elders, after chief, chief priests. He goes after all these people, showing the corruption that they're involved in. And then he says, as he leaves the temple, just shortly after he leaves the temple, on the Mount of Olives, as he sits and looks at the temple complex, the temple buildings, he answers his disciples, and telling, he's telling them that this whole complex and what it stands for will come down one day, which to them coincided with the end of the world. Well, that complex did come down, and I walked you through earlier Mark chapter 13, showing you the judgment that would come on Jerusalem in 70 AD, and lots of it was or will be coming to full fruition later on in the future. So, glimpses of what judgment looks like, which come to full fruition in the future. And then Jesus tells the disciples, but that's not the end. This tribulation, this, this final rebellion, this judgment isn't the end. There's also salvation coming for the people of God. The Son of Man desires to come back and return and to gather His people. We looked at that last week. And here, He talks about the timing of that, or if you will, He doesn't talk about the timing of that. He leads us to understand that the timing is a mystery. And in our passage today, he tells us why. Why that's the plan of the Father. So I've entitled this message, Mark 13, 32 to 37, this way. Why don't we know when Christ will return? Why don't we know? I mean, maybe he could just tell us, and this would all be easier, because we could point to, hey, one year and seven months from now, remember what we have coming. Or, hey, just a couple more hours. It would seem to us like that would be helpful. Maybe that would allow us to live more hopefully if we actually knew the time. But that's not what the Father believes. That's not the plan of the Father. He's got a better plan. And just as a reminder, God the Father's plans are always better than the plans that we think He should have. Okay? His way is through the sea. The Israelites up against the See, oh great, now we're going to die. They're coming after us. We're hemmed in by the sea. What in the world are we going to do? God's ways are different than ours. His way is through the sea, and through the sea, He brings salvation. So when we look and say, I just, if we just knew it would be better, no, it wouldn't. It's better that we don't know the time, and we'll see why in this passage. Mark 13, 32 to 37. But concerning that day, He's just talked about the return of the Son of Man. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. When we think of eschatology or the study of the end times, some people treat eschatology like the study of eschatology like a bulletin board. Some people treat it like a mirror. I'll explain what I mean. Bulletin board es eschatology. Have you ever seen, maybe on a TV show, detective work? 
trying to figure out what happened, what's going to happen, what could happen. They've got a bulletin board with yarn to pictures and to maps and to statements, and they're trying to connect all the dots, right? Bulletin board eschatology. Well, look what the paper said today. Look what the Daily Courier said is happening today on the courthouse square. That might fit Revelation 13. Bulletin board eschatology. Line here, line there. Some people view eschatology like a mirror. The Lord's coming. Look in the mirror. What does He want from me? I'm looking at myself. Am I looking like what He wants me to be before He comes? Am I living like He wants a disciple to live and wait? I would encourage you to think more like mirror eschatology, not bulletin board eschatology. Eschatology is meant to prepare us, to get us ready, to give us hope, to remind us of our mission and what we're doing before He comes. When we think of eschatology and the study of the end times and even the order of events, we should be reflecting on what we're doing here right now, not just, I think I know when and what happens in the future. That's not the goal of God giving us end-time descriptions. Yes, He is. He has earlier given us some events in some order, and He'll do that in Revelation, but it's meant to get us to long for that coming and to be at work in what He has for us. There's a purpose to our waiting. We're meant to wait in a particular way. Mark Strauss says it this way, preparation for Christ's return is not about calculating the date of Armageddon or linking world events to the fulfillment of biblical prophecies. It is about letting our spiritual light shine by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. This, as I said, is the end of the Olivet Discourse, as it's called, the discourse that God gives on the Mount of Olives. This is the end of it, and he's ending it with this final return, and he's saying, you don't know when it's happening. And that's how the Father wants it, says the Son. So, our outline for this morning from this passage, three reasons why the Father keeps the timing of the Son's return hidden from us. Three reasons why the Father, God the Father, keeps the timing of the Son's, God the Son's, return hidden from us. Now, before we jump into the first reason, let's note verse 32. But concerning that day or hour... No one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. He's speaking of the return of Christ, the events that surround that. Concerning that day or hour, concerning that future time, even that future hour, no one knows. No one knows when the return is. The Father knows. God the Father, the one who planned this whole redemptive picture. God the Father knows what He's doing when His Son is going to return. And God the Son here in human flesh 2,000 years ago is saying no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. And the angels in heaven know a lot, don't they? I mean, we've been taught about God the Father by the angels. Isaiah 6 says the angels cry to Him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This almighty one. The angels have told us many things. Angels, the word angel means messenger. God has used angels, used messengers in many ways throughout history. The angels know a lot. The angels are even, as 1 Peter tells us, amazed at our salvation. Satan and his legion was kicked out of heaven And that makes sense to holy angels. That makes all the sense in the world. When you rebel against the holy God, you don't deserve to be in his presence. But what about these creatures that have rebelled against you and you're going to bring them in your presence? The angels look into that and they're amazed. The angels know a lot, but they don't know when the sun's coming back. Not even the sun knew when he was coming back. I'll remind you, Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He did not lay aside his deity beep, 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 heresy alert, okay? Jesus did not lay aside his deity. He's still God in human flesh 2,000 years ago. He laid aside the privileges to that deity. Jesus, as a young man, would have learned things. You know why? Jesus came as a human, as a boy, as a baby. He would have to learn to walk. Jesus didn't, you know, the Christmas story doesn't end with, you know, these kind of 
this, this unknown, you know, gap where, oh, I bet after he's out of the manger, he just kind of gets up and starts walking at three days old. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't like miraculous baby in that sense. He looked like a normal baby, looked like a normal teenager, just without sin. This is Jesus as a man. He would have been sick, got the flu. He came to identify with us in every way. He was mistreated by his family. He was mistreated by his hometown. Jesus came and suffered. And he didn't just pull out the the privileges of deity every time he did. Oh, I don't want to get the flu. God, not going to get the flu. He didn't do that. That's the beauty of our Lord. He came to suffer and identify with us. So Jesus did not know the time where he would return again, his second coming. Now, some people think he still doesn't know. I believe, but I don't, you know, wouldn't die on this hill. I believe he does know now. The language of Jesus' exaltation after he ascends to heaven, after he goes through the cross, Philippians 2, God the Father is well pleased by that, that his son went through this mission. He exalts him to a place higher than any other name. Jesus is in charge right now. I believe that Jesus does know the timing. We learned last week that he's coming in clouds and glory, the glory of his Father. Jesus is coming as God. He was God before. It's going to be more clear this time, if you will. He's the God, the authoritative one, the ruler of all. Not even his family believed it last time for a time. So I believe Jesus does know now. But at this point, let's not wade into, down that rabbit trail. Okay, that's for another time. But right now, Jesus is saying not even the Son knows. His point is no one knows. Guys, you don't know. The Father knows. The point of this passage is not to calculate the second coming of Christ. It's pretty crystal clear that that's not what we should spend our time doing, right? Not even the angels know. The Father knows. The Son doesn't know. Don't spend your time trying to figure out when it will happen. Many people have gone down that rabbit trail. See Wikipedia. You can find all those who have set dates for the future coming of Christ. Disregard all of that. That's not something Christians should be involved in. But this isn't a passage about date setting. Don't date set. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is, why don't we know? That's what Jesus wants us to understand. Why don't we know the timing? And so here it is, first reason. First of the three reasons why the Father keeps the timing of the Son's return hidden from us. The first reason, so that we would stay spiritually awake. Verses 33 to 34, so that we would stay spiritually awake. Be on guard, Jesus says, keep awake. Because you don't know when the time will come. Be on guard. Be vigilant is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. What should they be vigilant for? What what should they be on guard for? Well, he told us earlier in Mark 13, be ready, be vigilant, be prepared for false Christs and false prophets to come, saying salvation is this way. Follow me. Follow my teaching. I'll rescue you from the difficulty of this present age. Be aware that stuff like that's going to happen. Be vigilant. Be ready for Christ to actually return. So be ready to avoid false teaching, but also be ready for Christ to actually return. Keep that in your head. Keep longing for that. So he's saying, be on guard, be vigilant. And then he says this, gives this command, keep awake. Again, the Father doesn't tell us the timing because he always wants us to be spiritually awake, spiritually ready. Keep awake. This is the opposite of spiritual lethargy, spiritual laziness. If we knew the timing, it's 27 years from now, I got some time to kind of do my thing, do things I want. You know, I'll engage in his mission maybe a few years before he arrives. But right now, I really want to do this. Can you see why it's good that we don't know? He's saying, stay awake. Because you don't know when the time will come. That's the plan of God. You can see that this is the main point by just seeing the repetition, right? In this paragraph, 32 to 37. Verse 33, be on guard, keep awake. That's one. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. Another command to stay awake. Look at verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. 
three times the command is given, and, and actually being awake is referred to five times in this passage. I mean, look back at uh, verse 34. He gives this illustration of a man going away, leaving his servants in charge, and he commands the doorkeeper at the end of verse 34 to stay awake. So it's not a command for you and I. He's saying the doorkeeper needs to stay awake, but in saying that, who's he referring to? He's saying stay awake to us. Also at the end of verse 36, Jesus is coming at some point, lest he come suddenly, so be ready, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Now, he didn't command you to stay awake right there in that, in that phrase, but he is saying, don't let him find you asleep. So five times this idea of being awake is referenced, three times it's in a command form. This is the theme of this passage. Friend, stay awake. Last week, we talked about the second coming of Christ, and what I wanted you to see is the heart of Jesus to gather in His people. And one thing, I don't know if you got this, but I prayed at the end of our message. I said, Father, help us to see not just the fact that Your Son's coming, but help us to see the fact that Your Son's heart is to come. He wants His people knowing that He's coming for them. He's going to gather them in. You can see the heart of Christ to want to gather His elect, His chosen ones, us who are in Christ. That's what He wanted to see in last week's passage. Here, He wants us to know how to wait. Be ready. Be awake. Don't drift into false teaching. Don't fall asleep there. Don't drift into sin. Stay awake. Stay vigilant. Don't forget your mission. Don't don't get lured by the cares of this world and forget why you're here in the first place. Stay awake, brother and sister. And then Jesus gives this illustration in verse 34. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. In that day, you know, dad didn't just say, hey guys, I'll see you in a couple days. I'm going to Pittsburgh for a few meetings. I'll be back in just a couple days. No, if someone wanted to travel 2,000 miles, it was going to take some time or 200 miles. It was going to take time. People would go on long journeys for business purposes. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge. So picture a man going on a journey. He's got maybe some sort of farming that he does, different crops, different animals, and he puts his servants in charge. Listen, I've got to go over here. I'll be back in maybe a few months. I need you to take care of everything that's mine. I'm putting you in charge. I'm giving you each task. Take care of this so that when I return, I receive a yield. I receive the fruit of what I own. So that's the picture here. When Jesus talks about the end times, he uses a lot of parables about a man going away on a journey, and and all of them have slightly different points to them. This point here is, hey, be at his work, be ready so that when he comes, you're not just asleep. And he says, you're supposed to be working. You're supposed to be producing fruit. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. So not all servants have the same work. Some servants do this, some servants do that, some do a little of this, a lot of that, a little of that. Everyone's different. And then he focuses in on the doorkeeper, the one who would be out front of this compound or maybe this farming, this land, if you will. As a doorkeeper, it would either allow people in or allow people out or keep people from coming in. It's the doorkeeper. And the doorkeeper, unlike the guard at the guard shack in your HOA, needs to stay awake all night. And be ready, okay? He needs to be ready. He needs to be awake. So when the master comes, everyone's awake. And look, master, come in. Everything's in right order, just like you intended. Each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. All throughout the the epistles, you have language of being awake. Or wake up. Stay awake. Be ready. Be vigilant. So we don't know the timing of the son's return, and the reason is so that we'll always be ready. If we knew when he was coming, we might not be ready for a time, knowing that we can kind of get ready before he comes. No, no, he could come at any moment. Let's find, let's allow him to find us busy at what he intends us to be busy with, edifying our brothers and sisters, sharing the gospel with the lost looking like Christ as we do it, representing Him in this world. Those are things we should be busy with. 
Think of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and because he's coming to judge, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. When you're doing the work of the Lord, when you're doing what he gave you to do, when you're raising that family in the way God intended you to raise that family, when you're, when you're having a relationship with that neighbor that he intended you to have because you're a Christian and they're not, when you're doing that, you're doing the work of the Lord and your labor is not in vain. That's an eternal labor that he sees and knows. So how are you raising your family? How are you striving to pray for and connect with your neighbor? How are you representing him in the workplace? Is your labor in vain or is your labor as if it's labor for the Lord? Because it is. This is what... Jesus wants his disciples to be about his purposes while they wait. Now, again, if we knew the return, just knowing me and knowing you, we might coast for a time and think, all right, guys, we got three years to go. Let's get it in gear now. But he doesn't tell us because he wants us always ready. When Michelle goes on a trip, uh, maybe to see some friends or something for a few days, um, I always know when she's scheduled to come back. Now, my intent is to keep the house clean and in working order and kids, you know, clean and bathed and clothed and teeth brushed. My intent is for that to happen all the time so that when she returns, hey, oh, oh yeah, you came home. Look, everything's as it should be. But because I know when she's coming back, there are those couple of hours beforehand all right, boys, clean-up party. <laughs> but if she said, hey, um, you know, in a few weeks, you know, I'd love to go see, you know, this friend or whatever, and, and I don't know if I'm coming back Friday or Tuesday. Guess what? The house will be clean and in working order from Friday until Tuesday. And when the master returns, she will find everything in working order. I say with a wink. <laughs> but do you see how not knowing actually can be helpful for us while we wait? It keeps us ready, keeps us reminded of what we should always be doing, how we should always be ready for his return. So, are you ready? If I asked you, if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow at noon, what would you do differently? The more things you say, the better insight into how you're living right now. If you kind of have to think about it a little bit, like, I don't know what I'd really be doing differently. Good. Good. Because you've put into place things that are of eternal value, and just knowing that it might be tomorrow at noon, yeah, this is the type of thing that I want to be doing, and I want him to find me doing. So how would you live if you knew he were coming tomorrow at noon? Would it change much? Would it change very little? Let me just speak into a few areas of life and to think through having an eternal a perspective in these areas. Um, if he came back tomorrow at noon, would he, find you, would he find you in his work? Would he find you prizing his mission? You know what his mission is by now. If you've been a part of Canaan Bible Church for any length of time, you know what the mission of God is right now. It's for his people to be a witness to the ends of the earth. Here, we're in Prescott. We give so that other people can do mission work in different parts of the world. So we know what his mission is. We know why he hasn't returned yet. It's because he's patient and desiring that, not, that many people would come to repentance, right? That all would come to repentance. So the fact that he hasn't come back is because he's patient. This gospel proclamation is going on so that salvation can be happening. So what, what's the big to-do list right now in the world for Christians? Get the gospel out. So are you in that work? And that doesn't look the same for everyone. <clears throat> I, I do it one way. I do it every Sunday morning when I make a gospel call from this pulpit. You do it by the people he's put in your life. Your kid's t-ball coach, your boss, your aunt, Jim, your neighbor. Who's he put in your life that doesn't know Christ? The great to-do list for Christians right now is to make Christ known. 
because God's a rescuer and He's determined that we would be the mouthpieces. So, are you in His work? There's also another big work that He gives us. It's edifying the body, encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. Hey, stay sharp, brother. Hang in there, sister, and remember this promise. Meeting needs of the body, caring for His body. We care for one another. We instruct one another. We encourage one another. We help one another. That's His work while we wait for Him. So are you evangelizing? Are you edifying the body? Those are His great works. And are you doing so as Jesus would Himself? Are you resembling Him, growing into maturity of the Son? That's His work for us to do. So let Him find you ready in those activities. How are you handling your possessions? Do those possessions serve an eternal purpose? How do you deal with your time? Is your time and how you use it pointed to eternity? Sleep. Do you not get any sleep because you're constantly working thinking this whole thing depends on you? Because we're to be ready and in His work doesn't mean that we never rest and get recreated. So, So are you doing so humbly, knowing that I need to sleep, and while I sleep, the Lord's in charge. I need to be refreshed so that I can keep going. I need to rest so that I can work. Do you sleep too much? You know, I just, I just really want 18 hours a day, then I'll be ready to go. Sorry, brother, wake up. There's work to do. So find that balance. Is your time, your sleep, your possessions, your family, everything you have aimed at eternity? Will he find you ready? Hobbies, vacations, good things, good gifts meant to refresh, not meant to be the theme of our life. Okay? Hobbies, good. Vacations, good. Rest, good. For a purpose. Hobbies can be ways to bring believers together in fellowship. Hobbies can be done in a way that's evangelistic. Hobbies can be ways where you get refreshed because guess what? You've got to keep running. I'm going to go out and do this for a couple hours this morning because it refreshes me, clears my head, I spend time with the Lord, and because tonight we've got an important conversation to have. We've got some work to do. We've got some service to do. So are you thinking with an eternal perspective about all things in life? Will He find you ready as if He's going to return and you want to bear fruit while He is gone? So the first reason the Father doesn't tell us the timing of the Son's return is so that we'd be spiritually, spiritually awake. Here's the second reason he doesn't tell us about the son's return. So that we would be spiritually awake. Verses 35 to 36. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's driving home a point. He gives the command three times. Be awake. You don't know the time when I'm returning. The Father has for me. Because you need to be awake. Verses 35 to 36. Therefore, stay awake. Because you don't know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or when, a rooster, or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. That wouldn't be good. Now what's interesting here is Mark gives us the, 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 the Roman fourfold division of the night. There's nothing about Jesus coming in the day here. Now that might not seem like a big deal to us. But to us, you know, if, if someone, if you say, yeah, my, my, my son or daughter is coming home, you know, on a, on, a, on a flight and she doesn't get into Sky Harbor until 2 a.m. And then I've got to go pick her up and we'll get back, you know, 4 a.m. or something. I mean, that, that kind of happens. We're used to that. Back then, you didn't travel at night. You traveled during the day. There are troubles at night. The night is the time for thieves. The night is the time for wild animals. You didn't travel on foot at night. But Jesus is saying here, and Mark highlights this for us, that Jesus is saying, you don't know when the master is coming. It could be in the evening, first part of the night, 6 to 9 p.m. It could be at midnight, second part of the night, 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. It could be when the rooster crows, the time from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m., Or it could be in the morning. I'm sorry, 12 to 3 was the rooster crows, and in the morning, 3 to 6. That was the fourfold Roman division of the night. 
He's saying, Jesus could come back at any time in the night. And you would think, well, couldn't he come back in the day? But he's saying, I could come back any time in the night. What he's driving at is, people won't be ready. You're not ready for a thief to come to your house. You're not. The nature of a thief is that he comes when you're not ready. That's why Jesus refers to his second coming elsewhere as like a thief coming in the night. So he's trying to highlight, he's coming back and you may not know when he's coming, so be ready. It might be an unexpected time, so be ready for all unexpected times. Be ready. We don't know the timing and the purposes so that we'd stay awake. Turn over, if you will, to Mark 14, just maybe another page for you. Mark 13, verse 32. You want a picture of this? A real-life, tragic illustration of this? Well, here it is. Notice the parallels to what Jesus is teaching us in Mark 13 and what would happen just a little bit later that night, right just prior to his betrayal. Mark 14, 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled, Jesus is. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Or, you can translate that, keep awake. Remain here, stay awake. So let's just not go any further yet. Does Jesus know his betrayal is coming at this point? Yes, he does. He said just at the meal before, earlier in the evening, that his betrayer is going to do what they do, and Judas left the room. He knows his betrayal is coming. And prior to being betrayed, prior to, and, and the betrayal is really, in a sense, kind of the kickoff to the cross. He's betrayed, handed over. He's now in the custody of the Jews and Gentiles. He's handed over. Just prior to him being betrayed, handed over, tried, and then executed. So just prior to this greatest tribulation Jesus would ever face, just prior to this, his soul is distressed and he needs to pray. And what does he ask his friends to do? Stay awake and pray. So let's see the picture of Jesus. Tribulation's coming. He goes to the Father. He's troubled, but he's hanging on in prayer because he knows what's coming ahead. And he asks his disciples to do the same. Surely they'll listen and follow his example. Verse 35. And going on a little farther, he fell, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them, what's that word? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch or stay awake one hour? Now listen, he's going to tell Simon why Simon himself should be staying awake. Watch and pray so that you may not enter temptation. So Jesus is praying to endure suffering for himself. He wants his disciples to do the same, but they don't pray. Do they endure temptation shortly after this? No. They all run away in the time of tribulation. So think of the big picture of what Mark is showing us in 13 and 14 about being awake. Tribulation's coming. Be on guard. Be awake. Be ready to suffer. The disciples in many ways weren't ready to suffer. They thought Jesus was just going to be the victorious Son of Man. They didn't know He'd be the suffering Son of Man. And they're with Him. So when he's arrested and handed over, in a sense, it feels like defeat, and they're scared, they're freaked out. So what you see at the end of verse 50 is tragic in in chapter 14. Mark 14, verse 50, he gets arrested at night after this time of intense prayer. He gets arrested, and they all left him and fled. And in the coming sections, Jesus is being tried, and Peter is denying him. He's giving in to temptation. So you can see why earlier on in chapter 13, when Jesus is telling his disciples, be ready, there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be trouble, but listen, I'm going to come victoriously, 
And before I come, you don't know when I'm coming, stay awake. In many ways, you and I today, this morning, have a privilege. We get to hear Jesus saying, stay awake, and we get to see some of his followers who fell asleep and tragically gave into temptation. This is an opportunity for us to learn and to stay awake. So the news says what it says. So the UN is doing what it's doing. So Iran is doing what it's doing. So local state legislatures are doing what they're doing. So local school districts are doing what they're doing. So people are trying to stamp out any vestige of Christianity. So the culture is doing what it's doing. Expect it. Be awake. Be ready to witness. Be prepared to have false doctrine introduced to you and reject it all while you're staying awake and ready for Jesus Christ. Don't be like the disciples who thought, I mean, he's coming again. I mean, I'll be fine. Stay awake. Be prepared. Expect spiritual challenges to come. Don't complain about them, but strengthen yourself in prayer. Strengthen yourselves with one another, with the saints. I mean, listen to Hebrews 10. Uh, Even coming to church is an act of staying awake. Some of you are like, I know, you're like super boring. It it is an act of staying awake. (laughs) It's not what I meant, all right? I threw you a softball there. Don't swing. What I mean is coming to church is an act of staying alert and staying awake in these times. And let let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need this gathering. This gathering on Sunday morning needs to center us back on what's true. We need to be reminded together corporately of the promises of God, of the commands of God, of the grace of God, of the coming of God the Son. We need to be reminded of all of that, and we do that as we gather together. Those are famous words in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Less famous are the words that come a little bit later on in that same chapter. Listen, for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little in a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So be ready. Be ready to go through tribulation. Hold on to the promises of God. Know that he's coming. Grab your brothers and sisters and say, friends, hold on here. He's coming. Let's keep working. Let's keep praying. Let's keep waiting purposefully. But there are some going through the motions, tossed around by the cares of this world. They're not staying awake. They're not staying vigilant. They don't pray. They don't gather together with the saints to be edified. They're just kind of lone rangers. And in the day when this trouble comes, the world hates Christians. I'm out of here. That's what's going to happen. So brother, sister, stay awake. Stay awake together. So we've heard the first two reasons, right? Why we don't know the timing of the coming of the sun so that we would stay spiritually awake. Secondly, so that we would stay spiritually awake. Here's the third reason so that we would stay spiritually awake. Verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all, all of his followers, stay awake. You think Jesus is making a point here? Biblically, you make points in many ways, but one way is through repetition. Why do we not know when he's returning so that we would stay awake? And what I say to all, What I say to you, disciples, I say to all. Jesus is saying, what I say to you, 12, 11 at that time, what I say to you, 11, I'm saying this to everyone who would come and follow me. Stay awake. What he says to those disciples back then on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem, what he said to them, he's saying to Canyon Bible Church of Prescott and all of his followers today, stay awake. Stay awake. Now, there's a lot in the coming scriptures that flesh this all out even more. As I told you, there's no talk of the millennium, Antichrist. There's none of that in this Olivet Discourse, just some big picture items. He's coming, 
you don't know when, be awake. Now, if I'm a disciple after this, I think, okay, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. I've heard him saying that a bunch. I might ask the question, well, Jesus, what does that look like? Like, practically speaking, what does staying awake look like? Would you maybe have that question too? I would have that question. Okay, stay awake in general, but, but what does that exactly look like? Friends, I've got a treat for you. There's a chapter in the Bible that tells us all that that looks like, okay? Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Mark, and, or I'm sorry, not Mark, Paul encouraging the church at Thessalonica about the return of the Lord. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, he tells them how to live in light of his coming. Now just notice the first verse, okay? Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You don't need me to tell you the exact day, brothers and sisters, Paul is saying. Sounds a lot like Jesus there. You don't need to know when, okay? Because, verse 2, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's going to come when you don't expect it. Now, pause there, okay? We've just introed the first two verses. Turn over to the end of the chapter. Let's look at um, verse 23. So, again, beginning of the chapter... You don't need to know the exact timing. You know that it's going to come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And then he's going to give a bunch of commands and ways to live. And and he's going to end it with this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Notice, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the theme of 1 Thessalonians 5. How to live practically ready for the Lord to return, okay? So let's march through it real quick. Let's just see what he says. This is really helpful to us. Now concerning the times, verse 1, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that, to, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So don't waste your life in sin and meaningless. You know, you know what's coming. Let's live with purpose. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Because God hasn't destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, again, notice the corporate part of living before the coming of Christ. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. When a person says, I'm a Christian, I don't need the church. Well, You need your Bible, and your Bible says you need the church. We need each other as these days get darker and darker. That's why over this last year, when churches haven't been meeting and couldn't be meeting according to the government, we said, no, no, I'm sorry, we have to be together. These are very difficult times. We have to be together. At the beginning, we had no clue what this whole thing looked like. All right, let's do some online stuff. Now we burn fire to all that online stuff. No, no, we're, we're back together here. We didn't literally burn to, you know, with fire. That'd be a waste of money. But we have to be together. We need each other all the more as the day draws near. He continues, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, I didn't put this in here this morning, okay? Part of living, part of end time living is esteeming those, and as you can tell by the context, he's talking about those leaders over you in the Lord, those leaders in local churches, those leaders here in the church of Thessalonica, here if you're part of Canaan Bible Church, Canaan Bible Church of Prescott, esteem those who labor among you and who are over you 
esteem them highly, respect them. I didn't put this in there. But your Lord told you that today. That's one way to live with purpose in the end times. Be at peace among yourselves. You've got conflict with another brother or sister, and you're holding on to it, you're holding a grudge, you're not ready for the Lord's return. He came back and said, why are you still holding a grudge? Well, because he's not going to say, oh, okay, that's warranted. No. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. There are some people who've been gifted by God with time and resources and talent and a brain and spiritual gifts, and they're idol. Brother, get in the game. Sister, join us. You're so good at this. There are needs all around. Get in the game. Admonish the idol. College student that says you want to live for Christ, you can't spend 13 hours playing video games every day. It can be a hobby meant to refresh your mind, maybe do it with other people, but use it as a means to an end of being refreshed. I'm ready to go, ready to live for Christ. And let's just not look down at college students. We've all got those things. Admonish the idol. That's how to live with this end time living. Hey, let's all get in the game, okay? Let's all jump in. There are needs all around us. Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. Some people are scared. These are difficult times. Encourage those people. Okay, encourage them with God's promises. Don't rebuke them. You shouldn't be scared. I mean, he's coming. No, no, it's, it's hard. Tribulation's hard. Encourage them. Build them up. Hold their hand. Put your arm around them. I'm with you. I know this is hard. Encourage them. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. We all have seasons of weakness. We all need help. Help the weak. And listen, be patient with all of them. Be patient with your brothers and sisters. Some are idle and need to be admonished, but still be patient with them. Some are faint-hearted. They're fearful. Oh, why don't they just believe this verse and it'll all be over? Be patient with them. Some are really weak. Shouldn't they be done with their trial by now? Be patient with all of them. See to it, verse 15, that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Brother or sister sins against you? Well, then I'm not going to their party. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why repay evil with an evil way of thinking? Well, it's just a party. No, no, no. Your heart's against them. You want them to suffer by losing your presence. Don't repay evil for evil. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. That's church language. And to everyone. Okay, I'll be forgiving and forbearing with Christians. But not, not non-Christians. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. See Peter not praying when temptation was coming. Lord, this is a difficult day. This is a difficult time. Lord, give me the mindset I need. Give me the strength I need. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's a way to see the chaos of the world and to think, you know what? There's a lot of reason to be joyful still. I'm a blood-bought sinner. I've been converted. I've been given a new mind. I have a lot to be thankful for in this crazy place. And I can give thanks in all circumstances. There's always something to be thankful for. When the Nazis come and you're hiding Jews behind the wall in your house, and you're afraid that they'll get captured and taken to a concentration camp, or you'll be captured and taken to a concentration camp, there's always something still to be thankful for. You know the Lord. If you perish, you wake up with Him. There's always something to be thankful for. Give thanks in all circumstances, verse 18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies the speaking forth of the Word of God. Don't, don't hear the Word preached and go, I'm not doing that. 
I'll do those things, but that's too much. Do you know what she did to me? I'm not doing that. Don't quench the Spirit. Hear the Word. Submit to the Word. Live under the Word. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't hear the Word taught to you. God Himself teaching you, His child, and say, I'm doing it this way. Don't do that in these days. Hear the Lord speak from His Word and follow. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. So you've got to make sure that what's being spoken is actually a biblical thing from the Lord. Test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's how you live in the end times. That's how you live preparing for the second coming of Christ. That right there is one kind of nutshell chapter for how you do that, how you and I do that. I would encourage you, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, okay? It's a teacher coming out in me. Read 1 Thessalonians on your own sometime this week and have a conversation about it with a brother or sister. It can be a spouse, it can be a friend, it can be an accountability partner, a discipler. And have a conversation about it. The, and say something like, I read 1 Thessalonians 5 and what it's like to live before the return of the Lord. And, and this jogged my mind. This was a rebuke to me. <laughs> I mean, I was wrong in this way and I've confessed that to the Lord. And I want Him to strengthen me in this area. Maybe there are weak people around you and you're just kind of focused on your own thing. Man, the Lord opened my eyes to see weakness around me and I'm asking that He would give me strength to help the weak. Maybe you see that there are some that are faint-hearted around you and you've been rebuking them and hammering them and you see, I'm supposed to encourage them. Tell someone that. Have conversations like that. Those are far better conversations than what place the Mets are in right now. They're in first place. There are more important conversations to have than just the hobbies that we have. Okay, ha do something like that with this word. Ask the Lord to help you live with an end time perspective. So, why don't we know when the sun's coming back? Because the Father wants us to stay spiritually awake. The Father wants us to stay spiritually awake. Brothers and sisters, the Father wants us to stay spiritually awake. If you're not a Christian today, the Bible says that God the Son is coming to save His people. We saw that in the passage just earlier in Mark 13 last week. But the Bible also says that He's coming to judge His enemies, to punish those who reject Him. I, I just want to take a moment to tell you why He doesn't deserve to be rejected. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and you are a sinner. I am a sinner. Everyone in this room is a sinner. And Jesus Christ came because he loves sinners. He came because God his Father sent him, and guess what? God his Father loves sinners. He came to save sinners who are enslaved in darkness. That's what the Bible teaches. You may not think you're enslaved to sin. You might not think that, but the Bible says you are. And even as I say this, you might know in the back of your head that does make sense. I am enslaved to this thing. I'm enslaved to this addiction. I'm enslaved to this lust. I'm enslaved to this drive for more. I'm enslaved to this, that. You know that. We are all enslaved to sin before being changed by Christ, being redeemed and rescued by Christ. So I'm telling you, Jesus Christ came as the only person who can take someone from darkness to light. That's what the Bible testifies. He came to bring people from darkness to light. Jesus stood up when he was alive 2,000 years ago, and he said in the temple in Jerusalem, he said, I am the light of the world. Not, I'm one of many lights. I am the light of the world. Jesus told sinners that he is the one that could satisfy them. He is the one that could forgive them. He is the one that could restore them to God. He's the one who could make them new. That's why you today should give your life to Jesus Christ. Ask God the Father for forgiveness, knowing that Jesus the, Jesus, the Son of God, came to die for sinners and say, I need that death attributed to me. I don't want to die spiritually. I don't want to be tormented forever. I trust that he did that for me on the cross. God the Father, please see that sacrifice on my behalf and turn from sin and follow the Son. Don't reject the Son. He's beautiful. He's gracious. He's forgiving. 
He's lovely. He's forbearing. He's comforting. He meets you where you are. He hears you when you cry. That's the Son. But when you reject the Son, if you choose to reject the Son, Revelation 19 says He comes and He slaughters. And He's not out of control in His wrath. His wrath is appropriate. You've rejected the greatest gift that could be given. He comes to punish his enemies who are engaged in sin and hurt other people and hurt themselves and waste their days. He comes to judge that, but he doesn't have to be your judge. Cry out to him as Savior. He not only died for sinners, he rose from the dead. He's alive. You can bank on this message of salvation because he's alive now. So come to Jesus Christ, the Son. For us who are Christians, I'll end with this. I read this poem to you the first day of our church launch in 2015. A few of you were here then, or at Miller Valley School then. (laughs) Many of you weren't there. But I thought this would be an appropriate place to read this again. It's a poem that is written anonymously. No one knows who wrote this. (coughs) Excuse me. It's called, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what I love about this poem is the way it, the way it's written is meant to remind the disciple of Jesus about the importance of living ready for his appearing. So listen, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, love by patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. The road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, nor meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I've prayed up, preached up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me. My colors are flying high, and they are clear for all to see. There's a reason when I was going through 1 Thessalonians 5 earlier, I didn't end with the last section, but I want to do so now. I talked a lot about what we should be doing with an end, time, end times mentality, commands that we should obey, things we shouldn't be engaged with. And if we are faithful to do those things, it will prove that He is the one actually working in us. The power and the glory to live with an end times mentality comes from the Lord Himself by His grace. So I'll end with this. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then these beautiful words. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray together. Father, we need both these commands to reorient us, and we need the reminder of your working power inside of us. Father, jolt us if there are ways that we have been consumed with this world rather than an eternal kingdom. 
convict us if there are ways that we've been hanging on to sin while we say that we are children of the light. Father, comfort us. Many have gone before you and asked for your forgiveness and felt horrible about sin and still feel ashamed. Remind them of your smiling face. Remind them of your son that came for them, Father. Remind them of the forgiveness that they have. Remind them that you call believers sons and daughters. Remind them of the security they have before you and that Jesus Christ hung naked on a cross to take shame from us and to give us glory. Meet us where we are. I pray for the witness of Canyon Bible Church of Prescott this coming week, this coming month. Should you delay this coming year and decade, allow us to be a people busy with your work, encouraging one another, helping one another, reminding one another of your promises. We want you to see our colors flying high for you when you return. Give us the grace to do that and the humility to say that we need you to do that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.